0: All right, well, I'll tell you what, I'm a mom of a eighth grader and a freshman, and I am just super thankful for all of our teachers this week. My kids had an awesome first week of school. Yes, can we just... Thank the Lord for our teachers and all that, uh, yeah, that goes into launching well, and I'm just really grateful for them this week. So anyways, well, good morning. My name is uh, Steph Heatbrink. For those of you who might be new or are visiting today, um, I am the prayer team leader here at Third Church and just delighted to be sharing with you today as we kind of continue on uh, in our Summer of story series. Um, You know, early on in this series, Clayton and some of our awesome interns reminded us of just how powerful it is to remember our stories. And, you know, I really resonated with that invitation because uh, my husband John was just blessed with a sabbatical season. And a lot of what we have been doing over these past few months is just the the discipline of remembering our story. And there's something so powerful in remembering because uh, when we remember and when we look back uh, we're reminded of how faithful God has been to us. Uh, we're reminded of how active God has been in our story. Sometime when I, when I look back on my life, I think, "Oh Lord, only you." could have orchestrated some of the things that the ways that they have unfolded. And um, it's also good because sometimes it just realigns us with the things that uh, we were made for when we remember our story. And so this morning, we're going to remember as a Third Church family, a bit of our own prayer story, and in particular, uh, how Third Church's prayer story uh, came to birth—the lighthouse of prayer that we now have as a part of our facility—that uh, I think is very much a unique part of our calling, our vision, and our identity as a third, uh, sorry, as a church family in uh, this region. And so uh, I hope as I'm sharing this story this morning that you're going to begin to feel uh, a stirring in your heart to seek God afresh. Uh, in prayer today, because I just really feel like we are in a season, friends, where God is inviting us deeper into his presence through prayer so that we can be sent out on mission more fruitfully with his presence and his power. And, you know, Kevin likes to say, we are, we're in an unshakable kingdom, and that is so true, but I'm a shakable person. And so there is something to saying, um, I'm intentionally choosing to root myself in Jesus in practicing his presence, in seeking him in prayer in order to stay rooted in that kingdom that is unshakable. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, uh, I can't really tell Third's prayer story without sharing a few other key stories that have very much uh, influenced ours. So throughout today, you're going to hear me talk about two other key stories, which are number one, uh, the story of the Moravian prayer movement, uh, that took place in a little village uh, called Hernhut that was in uh, Germany. Um, and uh, that took place in the 1700s. Now, you guys are probably all really familiar with that story, right? Yeah. No, it's okay. Uh, And the other one is the 24-7 prayer uh, Europe story. Um, It was birthed in England, uh, led by Pete Gregg. It began in 1999. And you're going to hear, as I share this morning, ways that both of those kind of prayer stories and uh, moves of God have really influenced who we are here at Third Church and, again, uh, how it relates to our lighthouse of prayer. Now, of course, you're going to get abridged versions um, of all of these pieces this morning, and you're going to hear a lot from what was my seat on the bus. You know, I've been here for 20 years, and so you're going to get a lot of things from my uh, perspective, and I know some of you would have uh, your own pieces that you could add to the story of prayer here at 3rd, and I loved it. One of the senior saints reminded me after the 8 o'clock service, He said, oh, I'm so grateful for the lighthouse of prayer. And then he said, do you remember that um, all of the walls of this sanctuary are filled with prayer? That when we were building the building that we all wrote out prayers, we put them in canisters. And when the masons were building the blocks, they literally put the prayers of God's people in the walls of this sanctuary space. So isn't that cool? You're literally surrounded in prayer this morning in this place so just lots of cool things um, in our story of prayer here at third but for time's sake i'm going to start our story kind of in the early 2000s i came on staff here in 2001 and at that time my husband john was on staff with uh intervarsity christian fellowship um, over at central college that's our alma mater so a welcome especially to any central students we have with us today And um, at the time, we would gather uh, with the students on Wednesday nights. And on a particular Wednesday night, we had a guest speaker come through. And this guest speaker read out of a book called Red Moon Rising. So that's, uh, I'm, you're going to hear me reference that a few times this morning. And um, he specifically read a poem from this book called The Vision and the Vow. It's kind of a poem, kind of a declaration. And at its heart, it was about a generation of young people who were completely sold out for Jesus, who longed to give their heart for the lost, the broken, and the forgotten. Uh, They wanted to see Jesus made famous to the ends of the earth. And he got done reading that excerpt from the book, and we were like, whoa, what is this book? And so uh, we jumped on and ordered it. I don't even remember, did we have Amazon Prime in the early 2000s? So uh, however, we got books back then, I can't remember. We, we got this book, Red Moon Rising, and uh, it just so happened that I picked it up to read it one day on our way. We were uh, road tripping up to Des Moines. I think we needed stuff. We were remodeling a house at the time, which is like unending trips to Menards and um john was listening to a cardinals baseball game which sorry i just find kind of boring so i grabbed the book and i had started to read and i was about five pages into this book and i just reached over and i shut off the radio and i was like john you have got to hear this story and so he had no choice i had a captive audience he was driving and I just began to read from him uh, uh, these stories from Red Moon Rising. So this book uh, began to make its way kind of around our networks and circles. So the staff here at 3rd, uh, the staff and students over at Central College, which that's a whole nother prayer story I could tell another day. Um, but anyways, uh, there was something so captivating about it. And what Red Moon Rising was, uh, if you're like, well, what was this great book about? Uh, It was really uh, stories. And it was the stories of this 24-7, nine-day prayer room movement that had been birthed in Chichester, England, like I said, in September of 1999. And basically, at the heart of it, it was people who were committed to taking one-hour shifts of prayer. It was kind of like a relay of prayer in a very multi-sensory, creative, you know, interactive prayer space. Um, And their heart was just to commune with God, to pray for his kingdom to come, and then to take his presence with them out from the prayer room into the places that they'd go on a daily basis. And um, if you worship regularly with us, you're going to recognize Pete Gregg and 24/7s influence on a lot of things that we do here. Uh, From God on Mute, which is a class we're offering this fall, to the prayer course, which is another great class that I love that we're offering. And then the Lectio 365 app, we've invited a lot of us in our community are using that in our morning and evening prayers. And so uh, they've had a really beautiful influence on our community in prayer in lots of ways. And so, um, again, back to the story a little bit, Uh, Pete's uh, leadership, his heart, was just to start this prayer room as an experiment. And they just wanted to see, could they maintain one month solid of unbroken prayer in this prayer room? Uh, Just taking one hour shifts and, and to see, could they make it? And at this point in their journey, this felt like a really huge goal for their community. You know, he would say, we were not necessarily a praying church, Um, the prayer meetings we had were kind of boring and they weren't very well attended. And so they kind of set this thing up and declared, we're going to pray for a month with unbroken prayer. Not really sure if they could even maintain the first day or two of prayer. And so... um, In order to understand why in the world would they even embark on uh, an invitation like this, this is where we're going to jump to our other prayer story. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this little German town of Hernhut in in the Moravian community that had settled there. All right, so... um, like I said, I, I'm guessing a lot of us aren't familiar with this, but the heart of it was this. There was a small group of about 300 Moravian refugees. These were uh, Christians who were actually being persecuted by other Christians, unfortunately. And they landed on this property in Hernhut. Um, it was owned by a wealthy nobleman named Count Zizendorf, who was just a passionate follower of Jesus and he welcomed these refugees onto his land, and he allowed them to basically restart their life um, on this property. Now, as does happen, a disagreement broke out in their community. There was some disunity that had happened. And so um, Count Zizendorf was also kind of like a pastor of the community. He calls the community together, and a real spirit of repentance falls on this community. They begin to repent for the disunity, for the strife that they'd had with each other as brothers and sisters. And as they repent, the Holy Spirit just comes and lights this community on fire. And what happens next is what is so phenomenal. They organized themselves into little, I think they called them even, prayer choirs, groups of two to four people. They were each assigned a couple of hours per week. And this small group of a few hundred people began to pray nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they would go on to pray unbroken, unceasing prayer for 100 years straight. It was an absolutely phenomenal move of God. And um, now that in and of itself, right, would be pretty incredible. But not only were they uh, incredible in, in prayer and in intercession, what happens is when you spend that much time with God, you can't help but get his heart for the lost. And so what happened is the, the this Moravian uh, community is really credited with um, launching a modern missions movement of lay people, meaning people just like you and me, right? Uh, tradesmen, moms, dads, single people who, had, who would go on to choose uh, to give their life to the nations. And so in the first 65 years of praying, this community that, of course, then began to grow went on to send out 300 missionaries to the ends of the earth in the 1700s, right? It was not like just jumping on a plane to fly to another country. I mean, their first goal was to actually get there alive. But they were so passionate to see Jesus' name made famous that they were giving themselves over uh, to wherever God had called them. Uh, there's one really kind of famous story from the community of a group of young men who were so broken-hearted. Um, about the many slaves uh, that were without the gospel on the islands uh, in the Caribbean, that they literally sold themselves into slavery so that they could have access to preach the gospel to the slaves that were on these island nations. And there was quite a move of God that happened throughout the Caribbean through the faithfulness um, of of these Moravian people. Um, their, uh, really their influence is still echoing today. Uh, John Wesley, um, you might be familiar with his name, one of the founders of the Great Awakening. His heart was strangely warmed at a Moravian prayer meeting where he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and then would go on to again lead a powerful move of God with the Great Awakening that absolutely rocked Europe and the Americas. So incredible things happen with prayer. And so um, we'll go back a little bit here. And so what happened, so now back to how some of these things intersect again. Um, Pete, uh, in his early 20s, the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, he had graduated university. He was out on kind of a fun backpacking adventure. And um, one night, they were going to camp on Cape St. Vincent in Portugal. It is as far west as you can get in Europe. And he's there with a buddy. They're camping in a tent, uh, sleeping, and he gets awoken during the night. So he just decides he's going to get up, and he's going to get out, and he's going to go begin to pray. And so he's praying under the stars. He's looking back towards all of Europe, and he just begins to cry out for the nations of Europe um, that are in kind of a dark place in that season. And as he is praying, um, he has an absolutely, um, phenomenal, uh, experience of God. He begins to feel like he is shaking under the power of God. Electricity is coursing through his body. He jokes, it's not good to be shaking, uh, under the power of God when you're on a cliff right next to the ocean. Um, But then he goes on to have this open vision, and in this open vision he just sees armies of young people rising up from all the nations throughout Europe awaiting their marching orders from their King Jesus to take the gospel to their own countries until the ends of the earth. And it was such a powerful encounter for him that kind of like Mary, he just tucked it away and he pondered it in his heart for several years. And um, so fast forward a little bit, he had been a a very successful church planter, had gotten a little bit restless in his journey. In his restlessness, he went on a pilgrimage throughout Europe, finds himself in this little German town of Hernhut, reminded again of what God had done through this ordinary little town. Uh, a bunch of ordinary people who had this extraordinary commitment to prayer. And he just, he just became marked by that. And he took that back to his own uh, home church. And that's when they decided, you know, if 300 Moravians could pray for uh, 100 years straight, I think that our community could pray for a month. And so began 24-7 Prayer Europe. Now, like I said, when they started, they were hoping they could make it a couple of days, but friends, uh, when the Holy Spirit is in something, He is in something, and they started to pray, and what happened is this prayer room, like literally movement, went viral, and it began to spread across all of the earth, and uh Like I said, it was, I think, September 5th, 1999, that their prayer room launched. And since that day, um, there have been prayer rooms praying nonstop, night and day, for 22 straight years. So started as a month, they are going 22 years strong at this point. And um, so it seems like there's something to this whole night and day prayer thing, huh? so we, uh, uh, these are great stories, but what do they have to do with us, right? Okay, Uh, let me get to our part of the story a little bit. So like I said, Red Moon Rising then was a book that came out in 2003, which was, you know, not that long after this prayer movement had been birthed, but there was already so many incredible God stories that Pete uh, wrote this book about it. And um, I was on staff at the time with junior high ministry. I was working with this guy named Mike Redman, who was doing student ministry worship. Uh, My co-worker was this crazy guy named Marty Schmidt, uh, who is the pastor for the Bridge Church now uh, in Atoma. Uh, just a delightful team of people leading students. And we were so captured by this book because it's, at its heart it was young people who had a passion for prayer and Jesus and to see their friends come to know God. And we are like, well, what if we tried something like this here? You know, and one of the things that was so appealing about this style of prayer is it felt fresh and new. It didn't mean gathering students together, or sitting around in a circle, hands folded, and praying. Uh, these prayer rooms were designed to be interactive. You'd walk into the space and suddenly you were surrounded by the prayers of people who had come before you. There was creativity and courage, interaction, tangible ways, body, mind, and spirit to interact with God in prayer. And so we felt like kids are gonna, I think, really like this. Let's give it a whirl. And so we built our first prayer room actually um, down in the boiler room of this church, the actual boiler room, uh, which ties back to another story. And you would think, well, that's a weird place to pray. But it was really fun, actually, very cool. So we dimmed the lights, put up all kinds of string lights. Uh, We had paper strung up. Different people uh, in our community created these interactive prayer stations. And then we were like, okay, well, let's see what happens. So we decide to host our first 24-7 prayer weekend with junior high and high school students, not really knowing if any of them will even come, right? Um, And then we're shocked. I mean, we have over 300 students come and spend an entire uh, give their weekend to prayer. Uh, Students sleeping in the building so that they can take night watch shifts. And we have kids coming to us saying, oh my goodness, I've never prayed more than five minutes. And I can't believe how fast an hour in the prayer room went. And I wish I would have signed up for more. I mean, come on, that's like music to a youth pastor's ears, right? So we just couldn't believe what was happening, and it was so sweet. We'd go down in the morning to turn things on, and kids were already in the space before school, and we'd go, we'd go in in the afternoon to kind of shut things down, and kids of their own accord were just being drawn to that space to worship and pray with God, and so um Funny story, we did get kicked out of the boiler room because evidently it's against fire code to be in that space. But you know, we were all 20. We don't know things like that, right? And so, uh, no worries, the Holy Spirit was up to something. So we jumped rooms. We, we moved then into a large closet that was uh, kind of off our youth spaces. And again, we were like, this is your space to be with God. So put in some interactive stations. We handed them markers, and we said, you can write prayers and scriptures all over this room. This is your room to pray and to be with God. And wow, did they. I mean, I remember coming in uh, for a shift um, kind of one of the first weekends we launched and i was like holy cow how in the world did they get it up that high you know we we didn't have prayer ladders so um but it was so beautiful it was not long before every uh, surface of this room was just covered with uh prayers and scriptures kids just crying out to jesus uh, on behalf of their own stories people they loved and um we finally let the adults get in on it too and uh this little prayer room in our basement of all places began to just take on kind of a life of its own and it was so sweet because um There was just a sign on the door uh, that said, uh, take off your shoes before you're entering because you're going to be standing on holy ground. And you'd always know that someone was in there just having a face-to-face with Jesus because there'd be shoes sitting outside of the door. And I can just remember that so vividly going down there at all hours of the day, all different days of the week, and just seeing shoes outside of the door as people were just uh, seeking God having face-to-face encounters with him. And so it was about this time that uh, we were designing and finalizing the plans for phase three of our building. Um, For those of you who might be newer here, we built the church in three phases. Phase one was kind of over there, or maybe this was phase one, phase two. And then phase three would be everything, kind of the place of prayer, uh, auditorium, and lighthouse. That was phase three. Now, the original designs for Phase three were to have a really big gymnasium. that's kind of what um, mega church big churches were doing at that time, building gym space for kids to play in, have extra service space, etc. But as we saw what God was doing with these prayer rooms, uh, the leadership started to say, man, I think God is up to something here. This vision of hernhut, this vision of 24-7 prayer, this picture of what God is doing in students' prayer, like this is a compelling vision. And so they asked our student ministry team, we feel like we're supposed to cut the gym and create a space entirely dedicated to prayer. Are you okay with that? And we were like, absolutely. And so then began the process of a team seeking the Lord. God, what do you want this to be? What do you want this to look like? Um, I think it was Lane, Pastor Kevin's uh, wife, uh, that first had a sense as she was researching and praying that it was supposed to be called the lighthouse of prayer. Uh, One of the key scriptures from that whole season for our church community was I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So this idea of the light of Jesus Christ going out from this lighthouse of prayer to the ends of the earth was very uh, integral part of the story. But then, you know, kind of a funny thing, when you go to a group of architects that design buildings and you say, hey, uh, we'd like to build a lighthouse of prayer, they look at you like, what you know like what are you talking about we have no idea what that means and so i had another friend who was kind of on the building team that was a part of the planning process and she tells the story that uh one day she was in bed she was waking up in the morning and she was kind of in that in-between state you know kind of awake kind of sleeping And in that kind of in-between space, she had a vision of what the lighthouse of prayer was supposed to be. And she had a very uh, detailed, vivid picture. She gets up. She um, sketches out the whole design that she saw in the vision. She brings it to the architects. Um, They still kind of are not getting it. So she literally sculpts Uh, the vision that she has, and it's from these two things that they took the inspiration then to begin to build the four-story lighthouse of prayer that we have uh, over here in phase three, and so um, I just love it. You know, I just love that our community uh, was listening to the Holy Spirit. That they they said, "God, we think you're breathing on this," and we scrapped our plans. And, and what happened is this four-story lighthouse of prayer was built. And so, friends, that's a little bit of our our third church prayer story. And um. I felt called to share that with you guys today because I feel like God is really in a season of saying it is time to remember your story, and it's really time to relight uh, some of the fires of prayer, especially in the lighthouse in a fresh way, and that's going to be one of our key invitations for this morning and you know it it kind of came back to this, and this is really uh, a thread I would say that weaves all of these three prayer stories together. You know, an author that I was reading over this past season commented on Hernhut, and she just said this, Hernhut was just an ordinary place with a bunch of ordinary pe- people who had an extraordinary commitment to prayer. And then uh, Chichester, England, where 24-7 was birthed, was just this ordinary place, uh, a group of ordinary people who decided to give themselves uh, in an extraordinary commitment to prayer. And friends, is a great town, but we're just an ordinary small town in the middle of the Midwest. Most days I feel like a very ordinary person, but wow, you know, I just wonder what might God do if we say yes to becoming a community that is extraordinarily committed to prayer. Amen? Now, uh, one quick aside. You know, sometimes we get a lot of questions of, like, why do we have to actually pray in the lighthouse? You know, why can't I pray at my own home? Why can't I do a prayer drive or a prayer walk? And... Um, my answer is, of course, do those things. That should absolutely be part of your rhythms in your life. But there is something uh, to a communal reality of building a space that literally begins to come alive as you're surrounded with the prayers of God's people. Uh, the Celts had this term of a place becoming a thin space as the presence of God dwells where a community seeks his face. And... Um, Brain science will even tell you if you return to the same place over and over to pray, you'll build pathways of prayer and meditation in your brain that will help you to connect with the Lord more easily. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but does anybody feel distracted in this hour? You know, I even think of of how uh, our attention span has shifted since this was built in 2006. I think it's John Mark Comer who says, like our attention spans are now less than a goldfish. I think a goldfish has like a nine second attention span and humans are like eight or something. And uh, I say that because there's something for me to walking in that space, leaving many of the things that would normally distract me in prayer behind and saying, I am coming here to meet with you, Jesus, face to face. And what a gift that we have a space like that in our community. And honestly, big picture, um, my hope is that somebody will be driving by our church, see the lighthouse, be drawn to it. They don't even know Jesus. They walk in, have such a powerful encounter with his presence there that they give their life to God. You know, my hope is that uh, Jesus' presence is what heals and makes us whole. I pray that as his presence is in that place, dwells there with us, that people, just by being there, will be healed, set free, made whole by being in that space. What a gift we can be a part of creating and giving to the broader world as we seek God's face. And so I guess today I want you to know that I'm not necessarily here to hype up a one-time event. Um, I'm here to invite us with this question to wrestle, Lord, what do you wanna do with us, this ordinary town, us as ordinary people, What might you do if we said, God, we want to commit in an extraordinary way to seeking you in prayer together? And so as I prayed about it, I felt like I wanted to encourage our community to see if we could gather 1,000 hours of prayer in the lighthouse over this next uh, season. And and I love this invitation because prayer is such an all-play thing from our littlest to our senior saints Honestly, wherever you're at on the journey, you're just so welcome into the place of prayer. And so um, that's been what's on my heart. You know, I figure if a few hundred people can pray for uh, a hundred years, that our community, that we could potentially gather a thousand hours of prayer over in that space. And so if this is resonating with your heart, if this is something you would want to check out um, and say yes to, we're going really old school in how we track this stuff. No computers, no online logs. I put one of these things. It's called a binder, and it's got loose leaf paper in it. And it's right outside the lighthouse, and it just says the Ignite Prayer Log. And if you want to try it out and go spend some time in that place, we would invite you, uh, if you feel called, to just log that um, in just to say, hey, I'm a part of something bigger than me in this hour. You don't have to put your name, just the date. Maybe you spent 20 minutes in there. Maybe you got lost in prayer and spent a couple hours in there. But just we just want to see, God, what might you do as we gather prayer in that space again? And I mean, Jesus in and of himself, right? He's the end goal. He's why we're doing it. Um, but we just want to invite our community into that practice of prayer over this next season. And so uh, a couple final invitations. Worship team, you can go ahead and come on up. Um, I recognize that there are new people in our community or uh, maybe you just haven't been over there for a while. And so as you leave today, could I invite you if you wanted to just to go explore over there. Maybe uh, ride to the top of the lighthouse and look out over the community. Pray a quick bless space that people would have face-to-face encounters there just look around explore think of it like an open house but just be in there and think about what it could be like to to spend some time with Jesus in that place Uh, the second for me I know that uh, you know my spirits willing my flesh is sometimes weak and so for me it is helpful to make a commitment and so um, I just prayed and I asked the Holy Spirit, what, how many hours would you like me to spend in prayer in that space uh, over this next season, kind of per week or per month? And if making a commitment like that is helpful for you, there's some prayer cards up front. And if you want to just write that down and leave that in the back, get kind of a stake in the ground, Lord, that I want to orient my next season around this, um, just know that that invitation is available for you as well. Um, and if this all seems really new and weird to you, and you just want to check it out once and go pray, you're invited to do that too. We just, uh, we, just long for, um, we just long for you to meet Jesus in prayer. That's our heart in the end in all of this. Um, I'll let you know too, we're about to do a pretty big reset in there, and so the interactivity uh, that I've been talking about with the prayer room, you're gonna start to see that rise over the next few weeks uh, probably three, two to three weeks, we're going to be doing some resetting in there. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how God builds uh, prayer in that space among us over this next season. All right? Okay, finally, I'm going to pray for us as we head into this final song of worship. And um, I just want to be really honest. I have not always been a prayer person. Um, I had to, most, I mostly went to prayer things in college because my friends were going. I have a huge heart for prayer. Uh, that has been a, uh, an unfolding in my life. Um, some seasons it's so easy, and some seasons it's a bit of a battle. And so I just felt like I wanted to offer this morning if you're longing for a, a fresh passion for prayer and God's presence, I just wanted to pray a blessing over you today. So if you feel like that is kind of the season you're in right now, and you could really use some fresh passion for God, could I invite you to consider standing this morning? I know that's a little bit risky, Um, but could I invite you to stand? Awesome. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're not standing, feel free to just extend a hand towards someone who's around you. Let's pray together as a community. So Father, um, we just thank you that even the standing is just a yes that says, God, I'm hungry for you. And Lord, you uh, bless the hungry. And so, Father, I thank you for each one of these uh brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would ignite a, a fresh passion for prayer in you and your presence in their hearts, God. Would you pour out a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they might know you more? So God, where there's been dry seasons, Lord, we are just asking for a fresh outpouring that you're just, uh, open up a fresh well of prayer. Open up a fresh well of prayer over this whole church body. Open up a fresh well of prayer over these friends who are standing this morning, God. There is nothing like your presence, King Jesus. And I just bless each of these friends to have face-to-face encounters with you, Daddy. So God, we just love you. And as a community this morning, we say, here we are. Here we are, this ordinary little town, bunch of ordinary people who really do love you, God. And we just want to say yes this morning to being extraordinarily committed to you in prayer. Have your way, King Jesus. Amen. You're invited to stand and worship with us this morning.